This morning we're starting a new series called Say Yes, and um, you guess what it's about? <laughs> it's about saying yes. Um, well, I want to take you a, a different direction to start, and uh, that is think of a, a newborn and the development of a young, young, young child, and whether you've had a baby in your family or whether you've been an aunt or an uncle, maybe a... Uh, um, uh, a, a friend uh, has had a, a, a baby and you've maybe been a babysitter or that, you, you've seen the development from birth and, uh, and what goes on in a, in a kid's mind. Is, they start off very impressionable, very trusting, very needy, uh, just uh, the, anything that you can do for them is greatly appreciated. And, and then as it would turn out, uh, kids hit this age, and it's around two years old, where, where they learn a very, very powerful word. And uh, anyone care to guess what that word is? The, yeah. <laughs> they learn to say no, and they will say no for any reason. They'll just say no just because they can say no. It's exerting their independence, and, and you can go through all the child development stuff and why this happens, but the, the truth of the matter is, is kids learn and start to say no. They, they just dig in. It was funny, I, I was uh, Googling and YouTubing some, some of these uh, epic family um, uh, submissions of kids saying no, and it's hilarious. I was going to show uh, uh, some clips here this morning, but I, I couldn't pick because <laughs> they were all just so, so good. It was just, you know, some kids, uh, you know, parents would say, do you want some ice cream? No. Do you want, do you want a million dollars? No. Do you want, it's just, uh, just because they can, but there's this, this attitude that they're, they're exerting their independence. And we can be that way sometimes. And sorry if I offended you, I can be that way too. When it comes to God and saying yes, it's like, no, it doesn't matter what he wants. I'm going to exert my independence. I'm going to exert, exert my, my say in the matter. And the answer is no. Well, Throughout this series, this is what I want us to look at, is the response God is looking for, the response that God wants for us and from us is yes. Yes. And how can we learn to do that better? See, when God created this world, uh, he said it was good, and the culmination of that creation was you and me. It was mankind, humanity. He created you and me in his image. He said it was very good. And in that, God didn't just create and then check out. God didn't just create, decide to put it all together, and then, okay, I'm out of here. That's called deism, a God who creates and then just disappears to go on vacation somewhere. No, God stays engaged, has from the very beginning. Our scriptures lay that out, how God is this God who is constantly in communication with his people. In fact, sent his son, Jesus, to remove anything that would be in the way, including sin, so that this relationship would be maintained. But all through scripture, you have this God wanting to be known. We talk often about revelation. God is this revelatory God. He's constantly saying, here I am, here I am, here I am. But it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. He goes to the next step and he says, 
Will you? Will you respond? Will you come? So there's this ongoing invitation. And another thing we're going to look at through this series is that that always ends with some amazing supernatural manifestation of His power and His glory in and through us. He wants to initiate this in our lives. Almost every time God acts, there is an invitation to join Him and to participate, for us to participate in what He's doing. And we're going to talk about how we say yes and how we respond to that. Today I want us to look at three questions. The first one is this, what's going on? We talked about a two-year-old saying no, how we often will land in that position of saying no. The question that I want us to address is, what's going on in that? Why does that take place? The second question is, how does this play out? What are some, some uh, illustrations, some examples of how this works in our lives? And thirdly, how do we respond? How should I respond when, when God gives this opportunity and invites me, invites you to take the first step? So firstly, what's going on? What's going on? Paul talks about this often throughout uh, his writings, particularly in the book of Romans. He talks about our sin nature. He talks about what has gone on with our, our uh, I would say our inner wiring, but it's, it's more like the, the operating system in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. It's like a computer virus. A, a computer is set in motion to do certain things and perform certain tasks, and yet a computer virus comes in and it, it jumbles things up and it, it corrupts what that machine was intended to do. I don't know anyone who would, uh, who would love to get on a Boeing 737 MAX 8 right now. Uh, if, if you've heard in the news these, uh, over the last number of months, um, there have been um, uh, big concern about the computer operating system within that plane. That it, it, uh, a couple of the planes crashed in the last year, and they've discovered that it wasn't pilot error, it wasn't uh, a physical malfunction, nothing broke, but what was wrong with that plane was that it's the computer operating system that it was, it was sending signals and doing things it wasn't supposed to be doing. And that's kind of what's going on for us. And Paul identifies this in Romans chapter 5. He talks about this rebellious spirit, this nature that we have, this sin nature that we have. Look at Romans 5 verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. This is how pervasive sin is. And that we, since the fall, humanity has not functioned the way that God intended us to function. Our minds don't function the way, our hearts don't function, our bodies don't function the way that we were intended to. You think about a a cancer cell. There was a time when I was a kid, I assumed that a cancer cell was almost like an infection, something deep within us that just started eating away at our insides. Well, that's not what a cancer cell is. You know what a cancer cell is? A cancer cell is a healthy cell that, that reproduces in an unnatural way. It's a healthy cell that is not functioning according to the way that it was created to function. And that, in essence, is a perfect illustration of of what's going on. 
God's inviting us into this relationship. God's inviting us to respond to what He wants to do. You see, when He invites and we respond, He has amazing supernatural things that He has in store for us. Why do we say no? Why do we pause? Why do we dig our heels in? It's because... This is what's going on. Sin has entered into our lives. Romans 8.20, Paul says, for the, from the creation, for the creation was subjected to futility. Well, thank you, Pastor. That's a great encouraging message today. Um, yeah, I'll take that, uh, take that with me today. Uh, creation is subject to futility. He goes on, Paul goes on to say that, that the creation is, in fact, it's like moaning and groaning as, as if it, it just needs to be set free from, from this bondage and that which is holding it down. Think of the last time that you had the flu, and I'm not talking <coughs> flu, I'm talking you're down for the count flu. Like you are groaning, you're not just sitting there going, hey, it'll, I'll get over it, tomorrow I'll be fine. That's not the flu. Like, think of the last time you had the flu. You're sitting there just going, oh, you're aching, you're groaning, you're, oh. You know, I don't know why people do that, but it's just, oh. Well, Paul says the world is groaning because it's been subjected to sin and futility since the fall. This is what is going on. We don't work and function and think the way God has intended us to do and that's a result of the fall. So how does this play out? What's at the core? What's going on? I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. I, I believe Jonah's life is a good illustration of how this plays out. Um, many of us know the story of Jonah and the whale and, and the lead up to it. And, but I think it's good for us to, to have a glance at it this morning and be reminded of how this plays out even in our own lives. Verse 1 of chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come to me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. It doesn't say it, but Jonah said what? He said, no, not going to do it. Don't want to go. I, I, I would go a million other places, but I'm not going to go to Nineveh. And so what does he do? He went down to Joppa where they found a ship bound for that port. And after paying a fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Here he is. He digs his heels in. He says, no, I'm not going to go. How much is this like you and me? God nudging us. Um, I think that that's, tends to be how God speaks to us is just kind of a nudge or an opportunity or this or that. Sometimes it's, hey, Darren, and you know, it's an audible voice. Sometimes it's a billboard that's, you know, flashing lights and neon and boom, boom, you know, like this. Whatever it is, guaranteed, if you're living and breathing and have a pulse, you've said no to God, much like Jonah, or much like uh, Jonah did. We tend to say no, and we tend to get in this predicament. And why is this? Why does this happen? Once again, in the fall, but I believe there's some, some factors here. The first one is this. We, we fail to understand who we are. We fail to understand that we've been created in His image, that God has called us, He's ordained us, and instead of Him being in control, we feel like we 
are in control. We feel like we're the ones behind the, the steering wheel in the driver's seat. We put on the, the selfish attitude and we, we embrace the me, myself, and I pronouns. It's all about me. And this is our misunderstanding of our place uh, before a mighty and righteous God. I believe the second thing we fail to understand is, is who God is. That God is a God of truth. God is a God of love. God is a God who has your best interest in mind. I don't know if many of us would have to think back very far to think of a time when we doubted whether or not God had our best interest in mind, especially when we've made a decision that has us in the equation. We, we start thinking that God has questionable priorities or questionable insight or a skewed, we, we get this skewed perception of his goodness. And we fail to understand truly who he is and what he's like and his character. And I believe the third thing is we fail to understand his perspective on things. We, sent, we tend to see things in the here and the now and our time and space and our timing and our days and weeks and months and years and our minutes and seconds and hours and how we live out our lives instead of taking a step back and going, okay, God, how do you see things? We've talked about a, a number of times over the last number of months where I've, I've talked about, you know, God in his, in his providence and his sovereignty just every once in a while. I love it when he does this, but it's like it, it takes a, a corner of the, uh, the box and he opens it up and he lets us peer in and see into the eternal realm and into the supernatural realm from our mortal perspective of time and space. And I love it when he does that. But we have to be willing to take a step back and go, Lord, show us. Show us what you're seeing. Show us some of your insight into this matter. And I think at times we forget about this. So in his space, what does Jonah do? He folds his arms, digs his heels in, punches a ticket, and heads to Tarshish. Halfway there, the storms rise up, and, and the boat is about to break up because of this big storm. And he tells the men on board, this is my fault, you need to throw me overboard. Make a long story short, gets swallowed up by a fish, gets spat out onto, uh, uh, out onto the shore. And he's, to this time, you think, if that wasn't enough, you think, you know, if I got swallowed up by a fish, spat on, a, on the shore, God heard my prayer in the belly of a fish, and I got spat out on I would be like, anything, God, I'm, you know, you got my attention. You'd think, right? You'd like to admit that that would be the case, but was that the case with Jonah? No, it's like, he's still wrestling with God. You really want me to? Okay, I'm going to do it, but not, I'm, and there's a caveat. There's a, you know, kind of the footnote at the bottom. I just want it for the record, God, that I'm not on board with this. Why? Because here's, here's the, the Ninevites. They were the meanest, most corrupt, most pagan people. In fact, they hated and persecuted the Jews incessantly. Someone was right, I was reading this week, it would be, uh, to put it in today's terms, it would be like, or, or back a number of years, it would be like telling somebody in the 1940s, a Jewish person in New York City, I want you to go to, to Germany, I want you to go to Berlin, and I want you to speak of God's grace to the, to the Nazis. Someone wrote it, it's just that much of a persecuting and a, and a godless society that Jonah was asked to go to. So he's like, 
hey, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it reluctantly. I'm going to, you know, this is still on my terms. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. As, as Jonah expresses the message of God to the Ninevites, and they turn from their wicked ways. Amazingly, they turn around. They, they want to respond, and they want to serve the one true God. And in Jonah 4, verse 1, it says, To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The fact that God would extend His mercy to this godless pagan nation, to this godless pagan city, to this godless pagan people group, it was offensive to Jonah, and he didn't like it, and he wanted it on the record that he didn't approve. Utter despair, and if you have ever seen, or have never seen, I should say, an adult temper tantrum, this is it. He just loses it. He's he's beside himself because this is not right in his mind. He wants his way and not God's way. Look at verse 2. If I knew, I'm sorry, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, Jonah says, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How about a little bit more of me, God? How about my thoughts? How about my preferences? How about my concerns? How about my needs, God, by the way? And I tell you, you dig into Jonah, it is, it is hilarious story at the end if it wasn't so sad. And you know, it's so humbling when you start overlaying Jonah's story on your own because we're just like him, aren't we? He's more concerned with this plant that grows up that God sends a worm to chew it and kill it. And he's like, God, this, this, this plant got eaten up and this plant died. And God's going, you care more about that than you do about the people of Nineveh. Oh, Lord, I'm guilty. The times that I want what I want instead of what God wants. How about you? So how do we respond? Obviously, the easy answer is say yes. And if this was just a pithy, surface-level church, we'd just kind of stop the sermon right there. But you know, you know Crossroads better than that. We're going to dig in a little bit more. You see, this is how God operates. I've said it already, that God welcomes us and invites us. And He calls us to respond. He calls us to take the first step. And when we do, there are amazing supernatural things that take place. His power at work in us. His Holy Spirit doing amazing things in you and through you. But the first step is yours. He won't manufacture that. He won't force you. He won't put you in the arm bar and, and make you, you know, call uncle. He's not going to force you to do anything. You need to be a willing participant. But when you do, and when your answer is yes, you watch out, amazing things are going to happen. I believe there are a few examples. There are hundreds of examples through Scripture, but three in particular. The first one is Noah. We're going to jump through these Scriptures very quick. You probably won't be able to keep up, but they'll be on the screen, and the references are in your bulletin. So, um, first of all, Noah. In Genesis 6, verse 11, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt, 
and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And then what does he say to Noah? He says, build a large boat. Now, if I'm Noah, I have some objections. First of all, Lord, I don't even think I've seen an ocean before. And I live in a desert, and uh, the last thing I've built is a boat, and I don't claim to be a carpenter, I don't claim to be, you know, a boat builder, I don't, whatever the objections are, I guaranteed if I was in, in Noah's position, I'd have plenty of objections, as would you. And yet, what do we see in, Jonah, or in Noah's life? In verse 22, it says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And then you see the way God used Noah to accomplish his purposes, the amazing miracles, the supernatural that took place. Jump ahead to Exodus 14 in Moses' life. Moses has just led the people of God out of Egypt. They're heading toward the Red Sea. The Red Sea is right in front of them. The Egyptian army is chasing them down, ready to slaughter them, and they're between an army and an ocean. They're dead no matter what. And what does it say in Exodus 14? Then the Lord said to Moses, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. And I tell you, once again, if I'm Moses, just like uh, Noah, just like Jonah, I, I have some objections. I have some input. Hey, can I chime in on this? Can we have a little bit of a, a meeting here? How I would like this done? Hey, why don't you just send like fire from heaven? Or why don't you send uh, an invading army to come wipe? Better yet, a tornado. Just, you know, just wipe them out with a tornado. Just, just do, your, do your thing. And, you know, what's this about uh, raising my hand and a staff over, uh, over the ocean? Like, what, what's going on? And what does it say in verse 21 of 14? Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water. A willing response and a supernatural, God-ordained activity that took place after. And finally, in Luke, Luke 5, as I mentioned, many, many, many stories that we could recount, but these in particular. In Luke 5, here you have these men yet to be disciples, but men hanging around uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they're just uh, not having much luck as far as fishing. And they've been fishing all night. They're tired. They're worn out there. And then Jesus walks onto the scene. And what does it say in verse 4 of Luke 5? When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And here's, uh, this is why I love Peter so much, Simon Peter, I think because he's so much like me. And the more you read of scripture and the more you read of, of the disciples, and I know some of you might identify with some of the other disciples, but boy, for me, it's uh, Peter, mostly because he opens his mouth before he speaks a lot and I do the same, or opens his mouth before he thinks, I should say. And I tend to do uh, similar, but here, once again, he's got this objection, master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Uh, you know, once again, it's, hey, can I chime in on this? Can I put my two cents in? How about my plan instead of yours, God? But I love this next part of the verse. It says, but because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. And I think a lot of us need to uh, just kind of open up Luke 5 and underline that because you say so. It's hard to live by, isn't it? Hard to work out. We, we believe it, but can we really walk it out? And then here's the supernatural that happens from the willingness of Simon Peter. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. You see, each time God's supernatural activity followed the obedience. I know obedience and the word obey is not a, a, a catchy phrase. It's not a, a popular word. But really, God is looking for our obedience. He's looking for a favorable response from each and every one of us. We're called to take that step. We're called to, yes, obey. I'm not doing this because I want to or all of the chips have fallen the way I want them to or because all the checkboxes got checked off. I'm doing this because you said so. I love Andy Stanley, a pastor out in, in Georgia. He talks about the, the essence of being a disciple is saying yes even before you know what the question is. Are you able to do that? Are you able to get there? Is there something holding you back? You know, when Noah was asked to build an ark, picked up that you know, 20th century ball-peen ball hammer. Um, sorry, I couldn't find a biblical era hammer, but, you know, picking up the hammer doesn't do anything. You know, he could have sat in the coffee shop just, you know, kind of, hey, pretty cool hammer. You know, I, and he could have even called his buddies together and gone, hey, I got these, these plans for this, this boat, and, you know, one day I'm going to build it. Man, this is going to be great. I'm going to build this boat. And, uh, you know, that's not saying yes. And for you, you might have the hammer in your hand. You might have the plans in front of you. You might even have the crew around you. But until you make that step, you're not saying yes. There's some things in your life where you've kind of toyed with the idea. You've paid lip service to it, and yet... You haven't stepped out in faith. You haven't started swinging the hammer. I think if it comes right down to it, there's, we struggle with a rebellious spirit. Sin in our lives and things where we're saying, you know what? God, you could ask me for anything. I'm just not going to do it. And I'm, I truly believe the Lord wants to speak to that in our lives. Those things that we are kind of paying homage to, but we're not saying yes to. That God wants to change. What's the move that you need to make? What do you have to start hitting? What do you have to start moving into? What do you have to start building that the Lord has called you to? At the same time, Moses, you know, picks up that staff, pretty mighty fine staff, you know, Ah, oh, what's up with holding it up over a, over a sea? If God wants to do what God wants to do, He's going to do it. And he, you know, likewise, He could sit in a coffee shop talking about how nice the staff is and, you know, and that God's got something in store. And He could even talk about how much He wants God's will in His life. God, just do something amazing. Use me. Would you use me? All the while, just holding the staff in His hand. Right? I think sometimes this, this comes down to 
Um, back, you know, that me factor. Um, we want to be in control. Um, you know, we want to be the master. We want to be, a, in, in some ways, it's a vanity and pride, right? It's, a, you know, we want to control our destiny. We want to rule our lives. We want to control, you know, God, I'll take your advisement. But really, I'm the, I'm the one making the calls here. We deal with the pride side of the factor. We, 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 we think a lot about ourselves. And one person, I botched it in the first service, I'll probably do it again, but uh, someone was talking about, about um, you know, lowering ourselves and saying it's not thinking less about yourself, it's about thinking about yourself less. You know, God, if anyone thinks amazing things about us, but oftentimes that gets in the way because we want to rule things and it keeps us from doing what God's called us to and that's raising our hands and seeing God part the water so we can go through. The other side, before we move on, I, I believe the, the, the opposite is true as well. There's a lot of people who think a lot about themselves and that gets in the way of saying yes to God, but I think there's equally, if not more people who think the opposite, and think very low of themselves, and that keeps you from stretching out your hand over the sea. God, I'm not good enough. I'm not able. I'm not fit. I'm not a leader. I'm, I, I can't do this. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain. You don't know the, 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 you don't know the stuff I've dealt with. You know, if anyone, you got Moses sitting there going, God, you don't know what I've done. I've murdered a man. God says, yes, I do, and I've called you, and I've set you into this position, and I'm asking you to stretch out your hands. So equally, the, the, the vanity and the me and the me first and how much I think of myself, it's equally sinister, the opposite, where we don't think enough about ourselves as a child of God, as a, as a person who He's called and commissioned to do great things, and He wants to work in you and through you. And you're robbing the world by saying, I can't do it. You're robbing the world of the blessing that God wants to be in you and through you. And what he wants to do, the amazing things he wants to do through you. So it's time to step up and it's time to stretch out your hands and raise that staff and see God do some amazing things. Let's get on to Peter. Now, I've never operated one of these things. I'm looking for the, the motor or whatever, or the batteries. But Simon had a decision. I don't even know how you throw this thing. Just watch out if I let it go, okay? <laughs> you know, he could have sat there and gone, you know what, this is a pretty fine net. I've, you know, in this day I've caught some fish and we could talk about fish and fishing and fish stories and all that thing. But what did he have to do? To see the amazing catch of fish. He had to, he had to throw that thing. He had to throw that thing. And you know what, what happens when you throw something? What happens if I throw and I don't let go? Yeah, that's, gonna, that's not going to end well. So when you throw something, you got to let it go. And I believe for, really the thing I believe the Lord wants to speak in this about is the fear, the fear that we have. You know, I, I want to, but there's a trust. There's a, and we're afraid. I think fear often most of the time, cripples us. What will happen? Can you imagine Peter sitting there going, okay, yeah, he's told me to throw it, but what if I throw it over here and, and I'm right? I don't want to be right that there's no fish out here. 
There's a trust factor. And what is God calling you to? What is he whispering to you about? What is he, is he yelling to you about? And he's, he's nudging you and he's pushing you. He's saying, here, this is what I've called you to. What you, what's, where's the fear? I believe in all of these things. There's, there's a time that we need to begin to confess these things over the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this. This is why and this is how it plays out. But Lord, I want my response to you to be yes. I want it to be yes, Lord. And I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling. Help me in my unbelief, right? Help me in my struggles and hear me. He'll, he will. I said in the first service that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this is in no way... A condemning message. In fact, it's a convicting message. And you see, conviction is good because that leads us to change. It leads us to, to do things differently. And I believe God's calling each and every one of us to respond differently to His call and His words in our lives. For each and every one of us, it's different. But I'd venture to say that for each and every one of us, it's relatively similar in the ways that we respond to God and the tendencies to, stay, to say no. So I'm inviting you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm inviting the worship team to come and join me up here. But I want you to think through right, right now, just in the quietness of this moment. And you might even offer up a prayer. Lord, where are some areas that I'm digging my heels in? Where are some places that I'm struggling with what you're calling me to do? And I want you to ask him that and hear me. He's going to respond. He's going to identify some things. And once again, not to condemn, but to convict. To bring about a change and to bring about a new way of living. So why don't you just go ahead and ask him. Just ask him that question. Lord, where am I missing? Where am I turning off my ears and not hearing? Where am I closing my eyes and wishing not to see? Where am I putting up the wall of resistance? I'd venture to say that the Lord has brought up at least one specific thing. I want you to ask him, Lord, what's, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want me to do? What does saying yes look like? Because that's what I want to do. What's the step I need to take? asked Travis and Tracy to sing this song over us and just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I want you to listen to this My whole heart, I 
Right now, we want to confess to you those places of self, places of rebellion. Lord, we want to confess sin to you. Lord, we want to turn away from those things that are not pleasing to you, and we want to set those aside. We want to follow hard after you. We want to follow your will. We want to say yes. We want to take a step in the right direction. Lord, silence the enemy that would feed us lies. Lord, I pray you bring peace in exchange for the fear that we're experiencing. Lord, you can do that, and we receive that. We welcome that. It doesn't mean that we'll have every question answered. It doesn't mean that we'll know every single bit and piece of the outcome. But Lord, we, we want to follow you because we know who you are. We know our role and we know that, that you have a, a perspective of heaven and eternity that we don't have. And so we trust you. It makes it easier to obey you. Lord, help us through this process, Lord. We need you. We rely on you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm inviting you to stand. I want to sing that Yes, Lord, yes. I invite our altar team to the front. Can we sing that a couple times? Just as a, a prayer, a dedication of affirmation that we're going to do just what he's called us to.